You know, the holidays are coming up and we here at the Jersey Wall Podcast are very excited about it. Brethren, tell them why we're excited here over at the Jersey Wall Podcast. We got an amazing place for where you can get gifts, man. That's for damn sure. Guys, do you know where you can go to do all, all of your holiday shopping this year? ElmontYouthSoccer.com. As far as I'm concerned, it's the only place where you can get everything you need. And don't tell me Amazon and don't tell me this or that. ElmontYouthSoccer.com is the number one, fun fact, number one website on planet (laughs) Earth for Christmas shopping or holiday shopping this year. And the reason is it's the only place where you can use promo code TJW10 at checkout to save even more money on already unbelievable prices. Guys, go to ElmontYouthSoccer.com for all of your holiday shopping this year. Get yourself any jersey you can imagine for anybody you know. And it's not just jerseys. It's memorabilia. It's tracksuits. It's just merch in general for all sports. This is like a paradise to me. And to anybody who listens to the show, it's a paradise for you too. Go to ElmontYouthSoccer.com and enter promo code TJW10 at checkout to save yourself 10% on your order. The link is in the description. Today on the Jersey Wall Podcast, we're going to talk all about Manchester United sacking Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Enjoy. I actually have some good news to tell you. I was saving this for on air. Yeah. Wow. I thought we were going to start with bad news. I'm glad we're starting with good news. Tell me. No, I mean, the whole experience has been decent. So we'll get into that. But uh, I just had my results and I'm negative. So finally, geez, Louise. Okay, (laughs) great. You know, and that's the segment. That's that's the segue to starting the show here, because those who are listening to this will be like, Mina tested negative on something. Well, that implies that he had tested positive on something. Brethren, tell the listeners about this experience. You had contracted the virus known as the COVID-19. vid. <laughs> the vid, as Kevin Hart says. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. About it. it was uh it was annoying at first because I had to come to terms with it. And it's not like it was a shame or I felt dirty or something like that, like Dave Chappelle mentioned in his yeah. special. I just I was frustrated because I was careful. Um, I wore my mask and I sanitized and I was always keeping distance. And till now, I don't know who I contracted it from, which means none of the people I met had COVID, whether Mm -hmm. it was in my social circles or in, you know, people that I see frequently. And that just means I caught it from somewhere because someone else was careless and I managed to contract it somehow. So that was a frustrating part. Like you can always do it's same with driving. You can you can be as careful as you are with driving, but you can't control the stupidity of other people while they're exactly. driving. Exactly. So mm-hmm. it was just I had to come to terms with that a little bit. But once you know I got that, um, let me just give you a, a breakdown of what happened. Day one, please. Yeah, woke tell up with us. a fever. Yeah, woke up with a fever uh, of like thirty-seven point six degrees, something like that. Oh boy. Um, and my head was a little bit heavy and stuff, but mm. I didn't, my nose wasn't congested. I just had like runny nose a little bit. Um, and the trigger in my mind was that I couldn't smell a thing. I lost right. my sense of smell, couldn't smell a thing. And I was like, dad, we need to do a COVID test. And then he's like, oh, are no. you sure? Maybe are you congested? Because 
you know, sometimes was he like, hold congested. on, you let me rip stuff. one and see, tell me if you smelled this, because <laughs> that would be the marker for me, for me. And I'm going to embarrass him on the show. It'd be Alex. If he, if Alex farted and I couldn't oh, smell man. it, I know that I would have COVID too. Cause that, yeah, cause yeah, there's yeah. no way. No, that's the marker. Yeah. Sorry, Alex, for that. No, I was going no, around like smelling. I was going around smelling for like different colognes in the house. I was smelling food. Oh, dude. Like just onions and stuff. <laughs> no, right. like, I can't like smell a thing. pungent stuff. Like pungent things around the place. And and I just couldn't smell a thing. So I immediately isolated myself from my dad. Yeah. Like locked myself up in my room. Um, and then moved. Like we have a, a smaller washroom. So I moved all my stuff to that washroom, new towel and everything, and put all the towels away in the other washroom. Um, and immediately started isolating. And then I had a COVID test the next day, came back positive, obviously. So that had been day two. So it's supposed to be you get your COVID test uh, on day eight, which is today, and mm -hmm. it came back negative. But the whole experience, like, thankfully, I guess it was just me product testing the vaccine because it was <laughs> like I, I got vaccinated in Canada. Obviously, I'm in Egypt right now. Right. And our international I, correspondent. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And it seemed to work because honestly, like I know a lot of people have had it way more difficult than I have. That a lot of people have died from it. A lot of people have uh, are still having ongoing issues. Mm -hmm. But I had the sniffles and I couldn't smell a thing. So I'm feeling very grateful for that. And my fever went away since midday on day one. So it's like it wasn't a thing that I, I didn't feel like the vaccine itself, the shot of the vaccine made me feel more fatigued than I was from the virus itself. Right. Um, and I guess that's just how they work. <laughs> so Science, you can, bro. you guys can like obviously debate what you want about the vaccine and, and whatever. This is not the, the platform for it. I'm just talking about my experience and uh, it, it's been decent, you know, like I've, I've just been, it, it gave me a, a chance to catch up on some schoolwork and, mm. and uh couple of courses that I'm taking and, you know, sat outside in the balcony once in a while. And it was nice, but I, it's good to know that I can now leave the house again and, and start roaming the city a bit and going back to the gym because I had been working out and stuff. And, and yeah. thankfully I lost weight while I was in quarantine. Like I lost like 300 grams, which is nothing, but <laughs> it's, something. it's still something. Yeah. Uh, so I can, you know, life back to normal now. Wow. I, and the fact that you're negative now makes me happier because i because i would have felt a little guiltier about abusing your co-hosting privileges or rights if you still had COVID. i'd be like so what's it like like, how, like right now can you smell but right now no, like but all honestly, your like, are gone now right even if we did this this episode on day one after midday on day one i was fine i just couldn't smell a thing now right. my sense of scent my sense of smell is coming back to 70 to 80 percent of what it was like i can mm -hmm. smell stuff now um and and genuinely some of the the weaker smells that you normally wouldn't be able to smell at first when you lose it now i'm smelling it again um so it, it honestly like the whole experience has just been tracking my sense of smell and making sure i don't have a fever and as of obviously i was on different medication um right. like i was just taking that for those of who, who might be interested i was maximizing my vitamin c intake uh with zinc like one of those Costco ones. Um, mm -hmm. I was also taking about 5,000 IUs of uh, vitamin D. Um, I was taking some Tylenol, um, a couple Tylenol X strength, so 1,000 milligrams of Tylenol like three times a day. Uh, and I was taking cough syrup as well. Um, 
because that was the only thing that was a little bit developing, but it was weak. It was a week off. Right. And I was tracking my, my fever throughout the day. So the medication, obviously Tylenol helped bring the, the fever down. But when I stopped that medication on day four, the fever completely went away by itself. I didn't have it. So the whole thing has just been, you know, staying on the meds and, and tracking my fever and just making sure that, you know, I don't give it to my dad because that was the main concern. Yeah. Even though he is fully vaccinated, I just, I still didn't want to risk that. No, of course not. Yeah. He's older and he's at, <clears throat> he's at a higher risk. Right. Um, but yeah, that's just my experience. I know a lot of people have had it much worse than I have. So uh, I'm just feeling very grateful. And uh, now I know that I can resume to life as, as it was. Yeah. So two questions. First, is your, did your dad have to get tested both times as well? And then two, well, did you, and I, because it's a two-parter, do you still have to isolate now for the next week, even though you tested negative today because it's the two week quarantine period? Or are you like, do you continue to spread it even if you know, probably not, right? I could, can't imagine you spread something that you no longer have. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Um, I, I like, we're still gonna ask someone like a medical mm. professional what the move is, but right. the whole time we've been tracking my dad's symptoms and we felt like it wasn't necessary to get a test without a symptom because when you're asymptomatic, apparently it's it, the PCR test is only kind of useful after day four of being asymptomatic when you had contact with someone, I see. but, but then you're supposed to also be developing symptoms, but we, he didn't thankfully. So we haven't been, we haven't found it necessary to do so. Um, and yeah, that's, it's just our experience. So do you feel now like you're bulletproof? Cause if I was you, like at this point, I would have to feel like you're like, you're untouchable now. Double <laughs> dosage of the vaccine and you've received it. Like your antibodies have to just be yoked up to the, yeah, they're, I wasn't working out by my, my antibodies. <laughs> my white blood cells are freaking, <laughs> yeah. They're got this. You just have Brock Lesnar's inside you. You have a yeah. hundred billion Brock Lesnar's inside you. And, uh, and yeah. I'm happy to know that your experience with it wasn't as traumatic, but this is not a campaign to dismiss the severity of this illness. And this is a proudly vaccinated show. If you're listening to this and you're not vaccinated, please go get vaccinated. So you can be like me now, even if you catch it, be nice and healthy, nice and healthy and handsome. Mm -hmm. Fun fact. Yeah. It will make you more handsome when you get vaccinated. So, <laughs> yeah. I've got a quarantine a, beard coming up here. I haven't looks, shaved. It's beautiful. I have a core. I have a just regular beard because the masks were killing me. And so I grew the beard right, right, as right. kind of a, a little, you know, package bundle to, to yeah. protect myself. Do you skin. know what my number one question was during what? this whole experience? Dumb. It's been eight days. How did we do this for more than five months? Yeah, dude, dude, no In kidding. Canada, how did we do this? Yeah, that's a very good In point. the winter as well. Like we started, it, like it everybody March. knows March. Started, March yeah. in Canada is not spring. No, like, it's that doesn't winter. exist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We still get snowstorms in April. So uh, like we had yeah. a good two months of winter outside, depressing weather and just not being able to leave. How did we do this? And remember, I came back from my sister's wedding in January, 2021. So I had to do a full two weeks in my bedroom, just yeah. fully quarantined in the winter. So it was, man, it was terrible. That's a good point. You know how we survived it? How did we do this? Huh. By making it worse for ourselves, by trying to do home workouts and then being so grateful to not be yeah, there. They don't work. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'll just be. They here. don't work. Yeah. Yeah. And and Tiger King 2 being released now. I was, dude, I swear to God, OG, I was just going to say quarantine. the other thing was watching Tiger King. And now Tiger <laughs> King season two is up. Have you watched any of it? I haven't. No. Oh, I've started it with Leah. 
I'll tell you this, and I'm not going to spoil any of it because I haven't even, I can't spoil it just from what I've seen from the first two or three episodes or however much we've watched. It's very much about filling background context and now exploring new leads Mm. to everything that's surrounded, not just Joe Exotic, but everybody else. And so it's interesting because it's almost like it's becoming more of like a murder mystery doc and less of... Uh, of something about the 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 entertainment that is Joe Exotic. It's like The Hobbit versus Lord of the Rings. <laughs> sure, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's going to provide a little bit more information. It's fun, you know, and it's funny because I haven't, I don't know what happens throughout the season. I just know what I've seen so far. And mm. to see Joe Exotic and they have him on this like prison phone doing interviews, but it's just like this much of him. It's just his eyes and up. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking, like, think of what, and how spectacular season one was where I couldn't fathom that this was a real thing. And these were actually yeah. versus now and finding out all this information of how he, you know, what he's seen from it and, and what he's gathered about his, his fame mm. and just seeing him from this big now and just being like, yeah, this <laughs> is great. You know, like it's so funny to plug it. Anyway, Joe exotic reminded me, of something which was as I was, and I encourage everybody, by the way, to go check out the Jersey Wall YouTube channel because I spent a lot of time last week mm. making like some stunning thumbnails for our videos. And let me They're tell amazing. you, if our thumbnails looked like this when we were creating this content as it was coming out, bro, we, we might be the biggest show in the world right now because <laughs> these are stunning. I went through all the past descriptions. I went through all the past videos. I changed all of them. I had to watch enough of them to know what it was for ones that I didn't provide like context for the episodes when I just mm. posted them because this used to be a YouTube exclusive show. And we used to call Joe, Joey Dynamite. That's a fun, that's, that's an actual no thing. Way. We did. We called him Joey Dynamite. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, that's <laughs> hilarious that we did that. And we were a couple of cuties, man. And it's so funny that we would just record like three in a week and then none for several weeks. And now we've mm. been the freaking benchmark of consistency for the last year and a half almost yeah when we were all in second year it was it was not good (laughs) it was not well the content was off the charts but the consistency of the content was was very much on the charts (laughs) no it was pretty much like how often sweden sees the sun (laughs) in the winter (laughs) it's like eh, every once in a while it just mass produce it sometimes and then as frequent as aurora borealis There you go, bro. And just as beautiful, I might add. The wall. Yes. That's the new thing. The Jersey wall is Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights. I'm going to get my TJW tattoo here, bro. It's on the agenda. Yes. Anyway, dude, where are we today? Today, we are TJW number 118. I am your host, Mr. Nathan Santos. That is our COVID recoverer and international correspondent, Mina Gali. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you all for joining us once again this week. Guys, we're really excited for what we're going to be talking about today. Is excited the right word? I'm excited. There's, it's it's there's bittersweet, some isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot there's of stuff to talk bone, yeah. about. It's probably going to be great to listen to. We certainly have a lot of thoughts on it. We've been airing these thoughts for a freaking, how long has he been in charge? Three years, for two and a half years. Solskjaer is no longer the manager of Manchester United. And now... We've created a platform where we, in fact, the whole reason five years ago when we created the show might have just been for this episode, for the very purpose of teeing up missionaries and just letting them freaking go. This podcast didn't exist when Sir Alex stepped down as United Manager. 
But if he had waited like four more years, let me tell you, bro, we would have had a freaking narrative here. We would have covered it from start to mm. finish. We've seen a lot of United managers on our time in the show, right? I think we caught the end of, who was it, Van Hall? And then, yeah, we caught the end of Van Mourinho. Hall for We sure. definitely had Mourinho for a long time. So we had end of Van Hall, Mourinho, Solskjaer, and now on to the next one. I'm not going to say too much here. I'm going to ask follow-up questions and stuff, but most of what uh, you'll be hearing for the next little while will be Mina telling you about – this is a Mina episode is what it is. You're, you're <laughs> our guy today, right? You're telling us just stories and your thoughts and everything. This is a Mina episode. <laughs> Brethren, tell us about your thoughts. Like your a therapy session. is without a manager right now after what happened. They got blown out by Watford. Now, before I even throw to you, the, some something has to be said here. It's one thing to get blown out by Liverpool. Liverpool are an outstanding side. It's another thing to get nowhere near the ball in a Manchester derby. Again, understandable though. You not you know not many teams see the ball against City, but to get destroyed by Watford even before it was ten men in the first half alone, it could have been much 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 yeah. worse. Was a performance representative that the squad needed a change regardless of whether or not we think he lost the dressing room. Clearly, it just wasn't working anymore. That being said, he lost his job. How do you feel? Take it away. Yeah, so uh, I think without a doubt, he leaves with class. He leaves with dignity because of the kind of person he is. He's mm-hmm. just, and, and like I said, if you go back to, I think when we spoke about this last time, uh, two episodes ago, episode 116, I said, as soon as he leaves, he leaves like everybody will be grateful. Everybody will be, you know, saying thank you and and just dismissing him with, with, you know, good feelings. And he will be remembered as a legend and he will be remembered well amongst the United fans, whether they remember him as a good manager or, uh, or whether they acknowledge what he did as a manager or not, he's always going to be a legend. So just getting that out of the way, he's always going to be welcomed with open arms back into Old Trafford. Yeah, and let me just, before you move on and get to the, as we touch on the positives, before we move on yeah. to, to the negatives and why this change was necessary and quite frankly, a little bit overdue. We look at it now almost and all the volatility and all the, the bitterness that I think a lot of United fans had towards the end is now with, is now seen with graduation goggles, right? It's now like, mm-hmm. ah, every, it wasn't so bad. Like, it, it sucks to see him go because he was, he was a likable figure, if nothing else. But... The, the, I mean, from what we know about, I still don't, I'm still not entirely convinced, but from what we've seen, it's really going to depend on the next managerial appointment. The flip, uh, the switch has been flipped here, right? It's now recognizing that this just isn't the way anymore. And United need a change to go on and, and, and actually achieve what their objectives are and what the fans would like to see, because it's just been what we've seen for a little bit too long. And now there's an opportunity for, for actual change. But tell me about some of the reasons why, uh, what Ollie didn't, didn't get right in his tenure. Um, wait, I think we, I thought we were going to touch on the good first. Oh, yeah, please do. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Touch on the good, yeah. please. So I, I think what he did really well, and, and I don't care what anyone else will say, I think what he did really well, and that's, what's, and that's something he mentioned in his, in his exit interview, is that he was really good at building the culture of the club and rebuilding the culture of the club from what was, you know, a club that was in the trenches of catastrophe and poison and toxicity 
there was no connection at all between the team, the fans and the manager when he took over. And it was a club that was at threat of being outside the top six and at threat of the fans just losing all connection that they had whatsoever. And all the ties would have been severed from, from that moment on. And what he did is he provided the positivity that you need when dealing with a toxic environment. He completely got rid of any of the deadwood that the fans were hostile towards to a lot of the deadwood that, that needed to be cleared off. And some people that were there from the Soralix ages and yes, obviously De Gea and Phil Jones are still there, but for separate reasons. Um, but something that he did really well was lift the atmosphere of the club entirely. This is the most enjoyable United team that I've seen and had, you know, the ability to watch since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. It's the one I've connected with the most, and it's the one that I've enjoyed watching the most. We Everybody knows David Moyes' team, whatever you think about him now, obviously he's done really well to revive his career. But that was a, a catastrophe of watching the champions play terrible football. Mm. Uh, Van Gaal was extremely boring. We had, you know, 12 games back to back where it was nil-nil at halftime. Yeah. And and Mourinho started off really well in the first season and then it collapsed as, as we all know it did. And for Oli to take it from the toxic environment where we had 10 first-team players on expiring contracts that year, and no connection to the fans whatsoever to what it was before the season started is amazing. And in that two-year period, he's completely changed the connection between the fan and fans and the club and the players as well. So that is something that no one can take away from him, in my opinion. What I think Oli is, and what I have been saying that he is, is that he's the guy to take us from, from you know, dead to transition and then through the transition of being ready to challenge for someone else to inherit a good squad with quality players to take us to the next level obviously they're going to reshuffle the squad no matter who you are a manager is not going to accept the previous manager's team they're always going to shuffle the squad somehow but he took us from level f to level b and now we just need someone to take us from b to a and to excel among europe's elite obviously his pride is going to be something else, but obviously we know that he wouldn't be able to compete with the top managers that we have in the league. I think we have four of the best managers in the world in the Premier League right now, and he's not going to be able to, to take them on, despite beating several of them on several occasions. Like, he's the only person to beat Guardiola three times in, in four matches or something like that. Um, he's he's the only man to beat, you know, City on his first three away games against them. He's beaten Tuchel... PSG, Tuchel's PSG several times. He's beaten Chelsea several times and he's beaten, you know, Klopp, um, I think once or twice and Pochettino as well. So he's beaten better managers, but it's always because he's had the worst team. And now when he has a team that is looked at as supposed supposed to be equals, it's that trans, that tactic does no longer works. And we know that Oli's tactic for big games was to sit back and counterattack with the few good things that he had in his squad at that time but now that the squad expects more because of his good work it no longer is viable to do that you cannot continue to play the same way when you've got a Ronaldo and Cavani and Sancho and Rashford and, and Bruno and Pogba and Van de Beek and all those different types of players you can't be that team anymore you have to transition into the force and the dominant you know team on the pitch and he's obviously not going to be able to do that because 
We've seen it. We've we've said that this season is the season to judge him. Yes, of course he should have won the Europa League, um, and and United in general should have picked up a trophy in that in that sense. But you know you can't always have everything. And I think obviously it's not going to be looked at as a successful tenure, but it's going to be looked at for me at least as a, as a time where we made tangible progress and it developed a lot. Not tangible in terms of silverware, but I think in terms of how people thought of United back then versus how people thought of United before this terrible run of form was completely different. Like going into the season after the transfer window, everybody was saying that this team should challenge for the title. And he took us from a team that was on threat of being outside of the top six to being in those conversations. Obviously it didn't happen for him this season. And, and everybody said, including myself, this is the season to judge him. And judgment came and it was just, it was justified. And I think you you had something to say, so I'll let you come in here. Yeah, it's just because <clears throat> you kind of spoke there about this has been your favorite side to watch since Sir Alex. Um, but I don't know, and I could be wrong here, but I, I don't know if that sentiment would be shared amongst all United fans because what all he lacks is, is winning trophies, right? So I want to ask you, what do you value more? A toxic environment with trophies and success, tangible success, or a tranquil, more nurturing and, and, and caring and peaceful environment, but without really making any serious competition for winning the trophies? Because I would imagine that trophies have to be the ultimate objective. And I think some of the United fans have forgotten that that is something that they're allowed to, to ask for. Of course, 100%. This, this club is about winning trophies. And to answer that, I look at, and we've seen both examples. We've seen a toxic environment with trophies with Mourinho. And we've that's seen what a I'm good saying. environment. Right. Yeah. I think both of them are short-term solutions. And mm. it feels great to win trophies once you do. But it, it takes going through this stage once again after that moment. So mm. for me, this period sets us up for more long-term success. Whereas okay, going through the fair. toxic period with trophies doesn't, and it you're right. gonna have to go through it eventually. So you might as it's well. It's the do yin it. and the yang, right? It's the it's the balance. It's it's having you want some of both, but hundred percent they have to be within reason, within relation to each other. I see hundred percent, and and obviously that's not me saying I'd rather have this than than winning trophies. It's just the caveat is that you're always gonna have to go through a transitional period where you're not a threat. Right to recover from the toxicity. So right. if I'm, I know I'm going to have to do that eventually, then I might as well get it out of the way and be set up for long-term success in the future. Okay. And so, so what's next now? Like, do you want to transition to next managers or do you have, cause you said you had broken it into multiple points. Do you have other things yeah. you want to get off your chest first? Cause I'll yeah. allow you to continue that. I, I, I want to, I want to be, um, credible in in the sense that i can you know praise him but i can also give him the the criticism that there is yeah and uh, i like to consider myself as fair and the problem that i found online is that people can't you know they can't separate what criticism is from just being absolutely disrespectful right and, and we were talking about it, this that's just, like just so right? it was me jokingly saying in the group chat that Maguire's red card is Ali's fault, right? This is kind of what yeah, you yeah, yeah. hear, right? It's, and you've spoken about this openly on the show before, giving him all of the stick for poor performance, but none of the credit for good ones, right? 
Yeah. And just flat out, just telling him, like United fans, flat out, just taking pictures of them and saying, sacked in the morning, boss, eh? That's just, mm. like, no matter who it is, like, that, it just leaves a sour yeah. taste in your mouth. That's just classless. Yeah. Like, but that's more yeah. a testament to the to the fans who do that more to so the people than themselves. The yeah. Because that's, yeah, that's but the, just the not sour, right. the sour minority is always the loudest, regardless of whatever party it is 100%. or whatever yep. thing it is. Like, for example, the booing that he received when he was clapping away the fans at Watford was from from what i've seen on on twitter from fans that were there they they said that that was like a group of 10 people in the front rows and that was amplified on on the actual tv screens but when you mm-hmm. look at the live videos from the stadium a lot of the fans are clapping him off knowing right. that it's a goodbye yeah and, exactly and those people were were you know told to be quiet pretty quickly um so i think when he sees the big picture he sees a lot of people clapping with some people giving him disrespect and and being a player beforehand i think yeah. he knows how to deal with that like obviously yeah, he's gonna have some stick um so yeah you can separate criticism assassin i'm sure he can handle the criticism right spent his 100%. career as a super sub i think he knows how to handle glory and you know hatred and criticism at the same yeah. time yeah so yeah you can always criticize and and like i said i was always going to support him if the board decided to stick with him but i was going to always you know offer that criticism you can be critical while still remaining respectful and backing the the guy because it's in your own interest to do well. Right. So his capabilities as a manager, as I mentioned, were to take the team from, from F to B and, and leave it in a better spot from, for a guy to take it from B to A. And that's not really a criticism on him. It's just, you know, world-class managers are that for a reason. There's not many of them walking around. And that's a situation the club finds themselves in, but it's not every manager is going to be a world-class manager and not every manager will have that sort of impact. So I genuinely think he has a good future at an average club to maintain where they are, regardless of where it is in Europe. Like if he takes, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's too soon for him to come back to the league. Maybe if he goes back to, to Norway, like, remember, this yeah. is a guy to that, that actually gave Molda their first ever league wins back to back. And, well, and like he can happily do that for the rest of his life. Yeah, and, and that's just it. I think there's a distinction to be made here, though. I think we won't see him at a top club, maybe no. ever again. But if we do, it'll be a long time from now because he will. And need- I don't think he wants that, to be honest. Like I don't maybe think not. he wants a top six club. Like maybe the maximum he's gonna get is if he he actually progresses his career enough to take Leicester or an Everton. Um, but yeah, I don't think then. he would he would want a top six club. Like you're looking at it now with with recency bias, but right. if if their if their standards slip, like they're no longer competing for you. And like mm. like we've said, if anything, in that first year when we got third, if anything, he was overachieving because that squad was not the third best team in England. Right. But I mean and last year's squad was, was the Cardiff gone. manager, right? Like like of that kind of bracket. Yeah, but club. he took over a, a sinking ago. ship, you know what I mean? I know, but that was the that was the level of manager that he was. And then in Norway, he was he was fine for what Norway was. And then taking over United, like bottom line is, and we all know we don't even have to really get into this. If he wasn't a United, le- if he was not a United legend, he would not have no, ever he, received this job, of right? course, or been 100%. given the time that he had in it. Hundred percent. But what I'm saying is, being the guy to take an average United and at some point below average United squad to third and then second from sixth has probably earned him enough respect in the lower teams of this league and the more mid-table teams of of other leagues around Europe. Like, I think that 
Mm -hmm. Like it once once the sourness of the current situation dies down a little bit, because obviously he's gonna have a break. He's gonna go chill with his family and everything. Once that dies down a bit, I think he's still got plenty to offer for the game. Just not at you know top six clubs with ambitions. And that's that's fine in Europe. Yeah, hundred percent. Like not like I said, not every manager is gonna be that. Yeah. So now let's transition to the other side of that coin, right? So we've been we've given him his dues, we've given him his fair credit, but there's still a lot of things that went wrong in his time at United for all the good that he did. He also didn't win really anything, right? Like in terms of trophies, right? Um, United never looked especially threatening, even the games that he won against bigger six opposition often. In fact, almost always those were credited to individual brilliance from players and his biggest criticism from, you know, Twitter, from, you know, all of us in the footy community watching where it never looked like United had a plan offensively or defensively. Defensively, it looked like everyone was just kind of, you know, standing around and trying to do their best to figure out how to stop the ball from getting past them. And offensively, it looked like it was just reliant on good creative players to figure out how to score goals for and produce goals for the team. It never looked like in this moment when the ball's here, like you look at Pep system and obviously nothing is Pep system, but Pep system is so crystal clear about what the system is. You can almost count it to the amount of dribbles, right? You may take no more than three dribbles without passing. I don't want you running at this player unless there's an overlap here. And this player is only going to come in this circumstance, blah, blah, blah. There's so many tactical things that go into a world-class manager system that it looked like that it, that United never seemed to have. Um, which is why he's not a world-class manager and, and that someone exactly. else needs to be brought in. And and that's just it. But speak to that a little bit about some of the things that maybe he didn't do so well, and then we can get into yeah. the genuine conversation for the next manager. Um, something that I was looking at, and I think is the reason that he got sacked, obviously the timing of it we'll get into when we get to the board yeah. and the decision-making. I think his persistence on playing the same lineup regardless Mm. of the results and when whether he happened on like for example the back three he happened on a back three system because he thought that this is good for this team but when you're not the best team in the league you can't continue to play the cookie cutter formation expecting everybody to know what they're doing all Mm. that in against whoever it is liverpool can do that chelsea can do that city can do that and no one else in the league is, is is can afford to do that I don't think anyone in the league can go on playing the same system regardless of uh, of their opposition, except for those three teams that I just mentioned. Mm. And he wasn't really... And I think it's since we stuck with a 4-2-3-1. I think this is not the same for early Oli. Before, like I'll say pre-Bruno and post-Bruno. Because right. pre-Bruno, we were we were the counter-attacking team and we couldn't break down teams that, that sat in a low block. Yeah. But post-Bruno, we were the team to actually like hold the ball and, and create create chances. And, and we did do, obviously you can't fluke your position in the league, but yeah, we did get lucky in a lot of games. But his, his yeah. for specifically for this season, he didn't really change figure out the weaknesses that we were seeing when we were sixth when he took over as caretaker Mm. and that to me was a sign of okay he like something needs to change here because you look at how we got knocked out against city in the um, league cup two years ago when bernardo ran amok and and it was Phil Jones in that lineup, and it's so vivid in my mind because you guys pressed us so hard and we couldn't play out from the back. 
and you did the exact same thing to us in that two nil defeat early, right. like a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And that to me screamed, okay, well you've, you now have your team. You've tried to change it from a, a counter-attacking to a, to a possession-based team. And this style and these problems have not been fixed. And if they haven't been fixed after two years with new players, and I think then I think that's, that was the concern for me. And I think that's the point where you say, okay, maybe something needs to change here to find a new direction or to find some, you know, different way of dealing with this. And it's way more difficult to change the coaching than it is to change the manager. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it was, it was time to change. Obviously there are rumors coming out that, that some of the people didn't understand some of the decisions he was making behind the scenes, like, like the, the Van der Beek situation. We'll call it that. Everybody well, there's knows probably a few examples, right? Like you could probably look yeah. to not just the Van der Beek situation, but you could probably look to Ronaldo as well and say, Ronaldo's not going to openly criticize <laughs> his manager who was a former teammate of his least of all. But Cristiano Ronaldo has been managed by some of the greatest tactical minds of all time. And you know for a fact that as much as he loves the headlines of being the guy to to bail you out, it gets a little bit annoying when that seems to be the tactic, right? Where it's like, yeah, listen, I'm clutch, guys, but Jesus Christ, can we maybe figure out another way to win games or even draw games? Of course. And and for example, my take on the individual brilliance thing if it works in attack that's fine but my thing is like for example here's how we're gonna set up to block any attacks coming our way Mm. and this is how we're gonna get to the final third once we're in the final third bruno rashford ronaldo pogba it's up to you score right because that yeah you have the freedom of like of like no but but it's a risky game barcelona said my my job is to get you to the final third obviously he's way more He's way more tactical at that, so we'll we'll leave that to the side. I'm just going to take it for what that one statement is. Sir Alex Ferguson, for example, a lot of players will tell you this. It wasn't really about tactics. It no. wasn't really about like how we're gonna you know find the ways to score. It's this is the lineup. This is how we're gonna play, and and the passages of play and training took care of themselves, and that's why he didn't need to get into the tactics. So that's what I'm saying. It's easier to change the manager than it is to change the coaching. The thing is with that is that, and and you know, like I I am still of the same mindset as you, right? So Alex Ferguson, what he accomplished makes him the greatest manager of all time, and I don't want to be critical of that, but we can't pretend that system and the game doesn't evolve. We can't pretend that 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 Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United would still be thriving the same way they would today with how far footy has come in even the last 10 years, right? And it starts with, honestly, the press in attack, right? United were so poor with the press. It was so easy to outplay them. It always almost looked like defensively, unless they were all parked behind the ball whenever they were pressing, like they were always a man or two down because people were just getting dragged out of position, right? So I understand. It used to be that galvanizing the squad of world-class elite minds was enough to make you champions because you were instilling championship pedigree in tactical geniuses, right? Your skulls, your, uh, think of United Legends, right? How, I got them on the wall here, right? right your right, skulls, right. your um, chest hair McGee, whose name I'm, I don't know why I can't remember Giggs. off the top of my head. Thank you, Giggs. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, right, chest hair McGee. But you have these types <laughs> of players who can you know, display individual brilliance at that level and need to be galvanized and, re- and taught and remembered, this is what you have to do to win. But then you have somebody like Pep, who even in the in the attacking third is interesting. If he said that, he's instilling it to Messi, right? Like, 
or Iniesta or Xavi, who are literally yep. the smartest football minds of all time. If your tactic for them is they can figure it out, that's fine because they can figure it out. But there are players, but that is still part of the it system. It doesn't work for everyone. I'm not, yeah. It doesn't work for no, everyone. Not and dis- below not the quality, it's, it's impossible, right? I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that what I didn't see was, okay, here's how we're going to solidify ourselves so that we can have the freedom to play to our strengths and figure mm-hmm. it out. It just wasn't that. And, and it wasn't that we were going to solidify the defense. If anything, the defense was better last season or the season before. And the insistence of continuing to play, you know, Maguire and Shaw and just play them through it. You can play a striker through bad form. You can't do it to a defender. Yeah. And, and we know or that. Keeper. And, and yeah, exactly. The, yeah. the reluctance to change how we defend um, counterattacks from our set pieces. Whenever we got a set piece or a corner, it was, it was an invitation for the, for the other team to attack us. Mm. And that is what I didn't like. And obviously we have a tall team. Everybody's going to be in the box with a, a few exceptions. Yeah. And the problem is it wasn't it wasn't like they knew what they were doing in a in a set piece sort of manner. And, and yeah, we did hire a set piece coach and it doesn't look like it was working 100 percent or maybe he didn't have enough time for it. Mm. But still, those reasons are why I think it was getting a little stale and the message wasn't getting through because yeah. there and are the two scenarios. It's to become a Tony Pula situation where you're a set piece team as as if you're an elite club relying on set pieces. It's hard, right? You have to be able to, yeah. to score in more ways than that. Exactly. And and the thing is, like, um, I didn't really think that there are only there are only two reasons why players won't do won't do a certain thing or why they'll repeat certain mistakes. A, they're not being coached well enough or they're not understanding what's being coached to them, which again mm-hmm. falls under coaching. Like that, that falls on on the feet of the manager and the coaching staff. If they, if you're if you're unable to transfer the knowledge to the players, then you're doing it wrong. Or two, they weren't playing for him. And we've seen a yeah. lot of instances where they were playing for him because whenever his job was on the line, they always he always figured out a way to to bail himself out. Or the players actually dug deep and and played for him. Yeah. Un- oh, until for sure. this Almost season, exclusively, right? Like that's why it was so exactly. Never argue that that they had turned against him because. A lot of the times Until they were coming now. back, it was because of individual yeah. brilliance because they were playing for it. Now, my, you know, I've been, and I want to move on from this specifically and get to the next manager, but you know that I had spoken at length about the defensive system primarily because you you kind of mentioned it and, and referenced it a few times there. But, you know, we kind of spoke about this a couple of weeks back after the Liverpool game in saying, you know, you were really frustrated with Shaw's performance. And I was more lenient towards it because... And I use the example, if you give a little kid a cup of juice and he drops it, it's not the kid's fault. He doesn't know any better, right? I genuinely don't think Luke Shaw in this Manchester United system for really since all he took over knows, okay, here's when I close him down when he's this close to me, when he's at this area versus here's when I have to be standoffish or with which player. And so part of that, sure, you can say is coaching. For me, I look at them a little bit like one in the same because because. Pep Guardiola's tactics are Pep Guardiola's tactics. He is the coach manager, right? If all he had a different head coach to take care of tactics, then maybe it's on him as the manager to recognize that they weren't working earlier and then find a better coach, right? But and yeah. the same could be said about him being loyal to a fault to certain players. And that's the thing with a lot of managers, right? There's not a lot of managers who are cutthroat enough to say, you're not good enough, beat it. But 
the best ones are. And it's almost like what happened with Portugal, right? Where it's just like relying, Fernando Santos relying on the old guard of Portugal to deliver what was once possible. And it's like, dude, you have to give these new kids a chance to do something different mm-hmm. because it's changing. And if you're not recognizing yeah. that, you are, you are the problem, right? But anyway, yeah. let's move on from this and get into, and this is like, as you guys know, exclusively the, the United episode. This is pretty much all we're going to talk about because um, I want to talk about the genuine next manager right are we ready to move on to that or do you have more things to get off your chest first yeah yeah, no that's that's a there's a lot of meat on the bone it's it's more of my frustration towards the board and and their terrible yeah please you're right yeah let's start with that let's do the board and then we'll do the the managers to close it up yeah it's impossible like remember when we were talking about it in, in a previous episode we were like when is the time to do it and i was like international week because there are two weeks where you can figure it out <laughs> and we've seen norwich and aston villa do it true yeah and they've hired they've, they've, the first day they fired their managers <laughs> they fired their managers in during international break norwich and aston villa they've hired alternatives they've had time to to actually like not even hire a caretaker before they get an interim. They had time to interview people, and I can imagine that they've had contact to them previously, and and well, actually identified their manager. Thousand offers, to be honest, right? Of I course, imagine yeah. they knew right away, and they're like, "Okay, let's fire our manager yeah. and hope to God that Dean Smith becomes available." So Norwich kind of won this situation, and you know what? Yeah. Fair play to Villa too for bringing in Gerard. I genuinely hope that works out. I think that's that's exciting. Which means they've had interviews with him several times. That's right. Yeah, like they would have they, had to have been they, scouting him for a they while. They were able to identify like, oh, this guy's doing well. Like I, he's gonna have to yeah. come and and get a you know a practice team in the Premier League before he goes to Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Let's be that team. Let's like, be that team. Yeah. He's doing well, and and let's talk to him. At least let's talk to him. Like let's yeah. bring him in for a phone call or something. And the the foresight of it is like. And, and I saw, I was watching Rio's podcast and one of the other people on, on that was like, what does winning against Watford do to not sack him, right? Like he was sacked because of the 4-1 defeat. But let's say that was a draw. He doesn't get sacked. And we all know this. Like they don't pull the trigger because of a draw. Okay. I think they would have like, and even if we lost like a 1-0 and we played really well, they wouldn't have sacked him. Because mm-hmm. they were like, oh, look, the players are playing for him. But just because we lost 4-1, I think that was the the nail in the coffin. So what does? Yeah, well, I mean, God, not having be, this right? result, getting blown out. But I mean, to no be manager fair, safe by that. The Any bl- manager no, exactly. that, that like, loses four one to 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 what's it called to Watford gets sacked. Like it has to be right. Like you can't yeah. you can't do that, especially given the form of the team. Right? It's not like you would smashed Liverpool and City and then lost to Watford. No, if you it's did terrible. That, you know it's what? Terrible. Fine, because yeah. you just beat the hell out of two really good teams. But it's like. There's no sign of improvement here or progression, and clearly something needs to change. And I'm, I mean, which for is, your sake, which I'm is glad they point. finally made that decision. But which did is my they point? Win, what right? does Please. what does winning against Watford do? Like, how mm. big is that result to overturn the previous defeats and the previous form? Like, if if we had beaten Spurs after the five 0 defeat against Liverpool and then went on to get a, a good draw against City then that's fine because, as you say, there's progress. But mm. it was terrible form. How does these three points affect his future? Like how? So you're saying clearly, it should have been done earlier or that it shouldn't yeah, have been? Yeah, 100%. Done. Like how, mm. how does yeah. this change? Like how does losing against Watford versus winning against Watford change his position at the club? If you knew that right. he's in bad form and, and you're going to have to sack him eventually because apparently they started deciding – on on you know making an exit plan 
since the Liverpool defeat, but didn't identify managers in time. Right. Um, and just forgot to how, do the only does, important thing that goes into exactly, plan, which is the replacement. They forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah. So how how does this result change anything? Like, so it, can I try to make sense of it? That's just my point. Yeah. L- let me try to make sense of it here. Okay. Please. Because, and please. I know you. I know you'll understand this when I'm telling you. So I'm not saying it to be like condescending. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. There just has to come a point where enough is enough. And you're right. If they win. The thing is, if they had won that game, if United had won that game, they're prolonging the inevitable, right? Because eventually, Solskjaer gets sacked because of something like this. So to get run through by Watford is enough to say, okay, no matter how, even if today we had won, yeah, we wouldn't have fired him. But I'm glad, almost glad for your sake, for, for, for the sake of United, that there was finally something that made them go, okay, enough. Because there's always something. There's always going to be a limit. And you're, and you're right. right. It's not that the fixture against Watford, if he had won, would have made a big difference because you're expected to win. It's that way. And even if you had lost by a counterattacking fluke, City have lost those games before, right? But no one's going to sack Pep because of a fluke loss. This was genuinely outclassed and dominated against by one of the worst sides in the league. And that is enough to have them say, even a, a board as incompetent as United's, yeah, yeah. say, okay, there are... No, I get that. ...that in this job, even this, you can't do. And getting blown out by Watford <laughs> is one of those things. And yeah. so, therefore, they they made the decision, which... And the craziest part to me isn't that they fired him after this, this loss, because I think, rightfully so, I think we all knew, right? Like, okay, this is it now. It's that they didn't have managerial targets or objectives lined up in place to say, okay, here is the successor and here's why. It's the fact that right now, you and I, the next segment of this show is going to be listing names and why we think this will be the right guy or not. And that makes me- Did you read their statement? Tell me, read read it or if you have it there. Their statement, uh, I'll paraphrase, but their statement is obviously like, we thank Ollie for blah, blah, blah. Right. Michael Carrick is now the caretaker manager until- uh, until another manager comes in for the rest of the season, which tells me they knew they were going for an interim manager. Right. And this is now for... So how do you not no, identify... managers This year now that you're going to have. It'll be Solskjaer, it'll be Carrick, who, by the way, quote me on this now, is going to be the manager for the next three years. <laughs> he's going to do the... He's going to hit caretaker for... I think... I think he, no, I think he's he, can, get the I think he can be position. the interim. I think no, he can be the interim. Maybe. But it's... But the thing is, okay, is Michael Carrick going to take you to a top four finish? No. Well, maybe. No. Well, hold on. No, but if United finished there, it's not because Carrick took the mayor. It's because United naturally right. have a squad that should be good enough to get there regardless, okay? Yeah. The thing is, will they then look at that and say, it's not bad? Eh, did okay. Oh, you know what? It's, it's, a, it's, a re, it's a real let's possibility. Because you run the to... risk of abandoning the season now and saying, let's go with Carrick now and just do pretty much repeating the Ollie cycle here, right? Which is, Get a manager. Yeah, it's good enough. He's something similar to what we had. You know, he'll do okay. He'll lift morale, but we're not going to seriously take that that next level. Which, if United identify that as good enough, then nothing else matters because all of this, what we're going to do, doesn't matter. Because what we're talking about now is who the next successor should be. And if they're saying they need an interim caretaker manager for the rest of the season, that means they're not going to be considering targets until the summer, which means they're not getting serious until the summer, which means they're abandoning the season now. No, but it's not. It's not that. I think they understand that their 
ideal targets are club tied and they don't yes. they don't think they're going to get them now. I so agree, you but does that not it, mean that they're abandoning ways. the season now? No, I, it I means that we're not going to go out. Manager. You, can, you can get a good interim manager to to play to the strengths of the team. Like other managers do exist. An, an interim manager, unless they have an association with the club. Well, here's the thing. It, right? Like, here's the thing. I think like... As an interim manager, you're not going to have no, someone no, 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 no. their club to be an interim manager, which means you're only no, going to get yeah. serious in the summer if Carrick hasn't done enough for the United board, incompetent, as we know, to say, hey, finish the Champions League spot. All right, let's keep him. No, no, but yeah, but, but hang on. I think like other... Other names that have been thrown around are people like Ralph Ragnick, which I don't think is ever going to happen because he needs no. a lot of control in the team. And the third, the the second name that I've heard was uh, was Laurent Blanc. And obviously, as Not interim managers, but hang on, interim managers are not going to be as good as your as your actual targets. Obviously, that we we understand. No, that. no, of course not. And and Laurent Blanc is in Qatar right now. Like he, it's not like he has. And I think he has enough ties with the team and enough like right. understanding player, right? of where he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of where he is in the in the managerial hierarchy that I don't think he'd be too upset with with being an interim. Like I think that's a like a genuine possibility. Because otherwise, why would he be managing in Qatar right now? Like otherwise, he yeah. Can but be you don't think that he could a, be manager? Let's say you don't think that he would think that he can do enough to get the next up. And plus, oh, why is he the guy? Uh, it's just a name that I that I threw out because of something because of rumors that I've heard. It's no, no, just, I know, and I'm not I'm not yeah. accusing you of being like why him. I mean, but to, to the rumors, why him? Why is he the guy? Like again, just another like I said before, another he's guy had experience at the top level, I guess. Association, just, who no, they're but just he's gonna, had experience at the top level. Like he's taken on PSG. Obviously, like everybody's going to win the league with PSG, but at least he's <laughs> yeah. he's had experience in Pochettino. the Champions League. <laughs> Oh, of course, yeah, hundred percent. He's had experience in the Champions League and and what it means to manage a big pressure club. Right, but would you and not that think that he enough. would then think that he deserves to be appointed manager? You could put it in the contract. You can put it in the contract, like do this by the end of the season, and we'll talk about it. Like there, yeah, it's okay. not going to be like, oh, you're going to be an interim forever, and and there's no because no one would take that. Why would anyone take these people have egos? Obviously, it's going to be like, okay, you're going to take over for the end of the season, and then we're gonna if. We're gonna stay in contact if if you're doing well enough. There's a possible three year contract on the table, but right. and that's how you're gonna to have to approach it because you're yeah. gonna to have to you know blow smoke up their ass a little bit so that they can agree to take on an interim position. Yeah. So because let's, yeah, let's look at this just before we because I want to talk about some potential candidates. Then if not for the summer, and I'm sure we'll the, visit yeah. this in the summer, just in the interim. What if I'm a United fan? what I want the next Manchester United manager to do. I have a list of a, of a few things, okay? What I think their objectives should be, very clearly and precisely, you must be able to do this. Number one, teach the team how to press properly. That is imperative for a top four Champions League level club because every other Champions League level club in the world can and does press very effectively, okay? Unless they're standoffish team, in which case, whatever. Set out fucking Watford <laughs> pressed fantastically. Yeah, they, <laughs> like, they pressed really well, top. dude. West even Eddie Ham Howe did really well to press. Like Eddie Howe gave a tactical breakdown of Bournemouth beating Chelsea and why yeah. they did. That's he's better at attack. Ollie did not know that. I, I'll tell you that. Ollie watching that video, I'd be like, oh, damn, that's a good video. Um, this manager also so not only pressed properly, which is again an imperative part of the game, which might be 
somebody who is maybe not a newer manager, but somebody who understands the new wave of pressing and what it actually means. Yeah. Okay. Clear offensive and defensive tactics. Again, super, super important. You cannot be, if you have players who can take a game and, and be the brilliant figure, fine. So be it. Let them be that. But they're only going to be that when it's their time to. It can't be the reason why a club succeeds is based on whether or not their individual brilliance can figure out the performance of the team. It must be. 100%. There are players. Your CDM, let's say in a 4 2 3 one, know when to cover the center. They know when to press forward. They know when to drop back. The, the center backs know exactly what it is that the players in front of them are going to do. The fullbacks know when to go. They know when to stay. There's tactics all over the pitch that United know what to do and when, okay? Because again, yeah, top level simple, clubs. Simple, here's what we do with the ball. Here's what we do without the ball. That's exactly, it. boom. The next thing, and again, now we're getting into a little bit more of, of players specifically. Yeah. This manager must be able to get the best out of Paul Pogba and Jaden Sancho, period. For the time being or just in the long run? This, whoever the manager is, whatever it is, that whatever their <clears> tenure <throat> ends up being, right? If it's, an, if it's an interim manager, it's somebody who needs to get the most out of them for as long as he has has it. And if it's a long-term manager, then it's somebody who knows that they can put these players in a team. Maybe they lose Pogba in the summer, whatever. Yeah, that's what now. I was saying. Like, It's been how long that Pogba's been at the club, that, and there's never been a plan for him under any manager. Nobody's ever known what to do with him or how to handle it. There must be something that we can do about it. Part of that is new players, right? You need somebody to create something to liberate somebody. Maybe you're building it into your tactics to say, Pogba has our free roam role. The other 10 of you, you know what to do, Pogba. And you guys got to work harder for Pogba because he's only going to do what he does, which is hold the ball up, play one-of-a-kind long-term pass, uh, um, like long balls, and dribble out of tight spaces and be that 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 figure that he was at Juve, right? They have to get that out of him because otherwise, what's the point? And if they lose him and you want to abandon Pogba, whatever. Honestly, I could give a care, right? If he signs a pre-contract with another club in January, so be it. But I would like for the next manager to take a player like Pogba and say, yeah, I know how to actually get the most out of him and here's what we're going to do to do it. The other thing is Sancho. Now, I, and I'm just going to like run my my engine a little bit because I haven't, no, I haven't aired in a whole lot of things. But again, if I'm a United fan, how long did United pursue Sancho? Like a long ass time. Like three years. <laughs> three years pretty much, right? They finally got him. And you remember, I addressed on this very show my concerns with that signing. Do you remember what they were? Yeah, you said it wasn't the type of winger we needed. Exactly. There is not the system in place to have a player like this come in. Jaden Sancho is very much an inside forward. He's an intricate player who works very well with the pieces around him to make everybody shine. However, what United needed was somebody who can run the wings and stuff or a fullback that could run the wing so that he had, again, somebody to link up with. He is very much an inside forward. After all the years and all the money spent and, and everything that went into getting him, there's no plan for him. He's yeah. been terrible this season. He's had almost no chance because there's no plan for him. There's no system. It's like, cool, we got our guy. Now what? I don't know. Figure it out, Jaden. No. Yeah. I mean, it's also a sign of, of a manager under pressure. Like, here's, I'm sticking with what I know. Like, right. Like, and it's and a sign can't of have that, man. I need a new manager to come in who knows right. what Jaden Sancho is capable of, which is a lot. And build the system around, here's what we can do to get Jaden Sancho into this team and why it'll be good. And quite frankly, not just him. Van de Beek too, right? All the players who have been kind of abandoned by Ollie because he didn't know what to do with them, right? Have these players working in the team. By the way, how poetic is it that Van de Beek should get the last goal 
of the uh, of the Ollie tenure. That's hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, it's getting the most out of these types of players specifically who weren't necessarily staples of the team, but are quality enough that they should be and have been massive targets for United that have just been forgotten about. That is what I need the next manager to do. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree with all the points you said. It's just I don't know if you're talking about an interim or a full-time. Either of them. Like the, the person who's going to inherit the club forward, for the club to succeed at the level that it needs to, this is what must be done, right? Right. I just think the interim manager might not be able to do all of that in the, before the summer. If that manager yeah. is to change. Like I understand. If that, that manager yeah. is to change. Listen, I don't expect Michael impossible. Carrick to get Jaden Sancho to double figures goals and assists in a couple of weeks because he's got even to figure if it, it out. Is like, his his, even his if it priority is someone, has to be getting points, right? Yeah. Even if it is someone like Laurent Blanc, it, his priority is also to be to get points. If it's someone who is experienced at the game and he knows that he's probably just there for four, four or five months, they're not going to be able to do that if they are to be changed in the summer. Mm. And I think what you're saying is... is well, actually, if, I would argue the that manager they almost is to might. change in the summer... I'll tell what? you why. If you can see out the rest of the season, regardless of what it is that you're going to do, because you know you're just an interim, I actually think that you can almost... And again maybe not as seriously as severely as I said it earlier about abandoning the season, but while trying to achieve the highest place you can, which is please get us in the top four. We're not going to challenge for higher than that, but we need to be in that top four discussion because we're quickly dropping down the table. Can we use this time to figure out how this team best plays together? And to be honest, from the board, that's almost what I want my interim manager to do so that my new yeah. guy coming in can see what works and what doesn't based on 100%. how and then he can say, okay, yeah, that I agree with 100%. Jane Sancho turned out to be a baller because we were playing him this way. I need to make sure he's doing that, right? You almost have yeah. a little bit more of a benefit of a doubt if you know you're getting sacked regardless. It's like, well, then I can ball, you, right? You're like, more willing to try things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's no longer, oh, I'm a man under pressure like Oli. And it's like, I, I'm just going to do with what I know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's now more of a, here, I can try a few things. And I know I'm probably not going to stay anyway. So <laughs> might as well. Might as well. Now, do we yeah. have names for some of these objectives? And again, we could just throw them out a little bit more. For interim, I think if, and honestly, it pains me to say this, but it's a realization that I know is very possible. If Carrick if say, is able to get like a good amount of runs, they're going to give him the interim job. Yeah. And I know that well, for 100%. Sure. Yeah. So what happened but with Ollie? For me. The caretaker job, they're like, ah, okay. I don't know. Yeah. For me, if if someone like Laurent Blanc or and that's I only say that because he's on my like he's he's on my mind right now because it's a name that I've seen and that's a problem with interim managers you're not aware of them until you read the name it's like a, a Gus hitting right it's like yeah who the hell is Gus hitting until you see him coming in and you're like oh okay he can yeah, do pretty well right. he can do a job yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly what you have to remember though is not to fall in love with it because it's it's very much a Okay. Like a Di Matteo. Yeah, like, yeah like, he won the Champions League, but let's be real here. You got to hold on here. Yeah, you did a good job, but eh, maybe it's not quite at the level that, that we are comfortable playing at because we want to be doing more. But yeah, what about, let's play a hypothetical here because we love to play hypotheticals on the podcast. Let's say Carrick has the job for two weeks, right? And two weeks are set in stone. You will only have this job for two weeks while we go out and find another manager right now. Which is supposedly what they're doing which is what they're trying to do to leave his post at his current club. Cause realistically the top managers are pretty much locked down. Who are some candidates for that job? And we've seen the rumors, right? We've seen who is it? Ronaldo is, is one, which is hilarious, right? 
the you got Brendan Rodgers, you have um Pochettino, Ten Hag, and Zidane really are are right. those four the top right Ten like, Hag rumored candidate yeah. candidates. Yeah, tell me a little bit about those uh, about those candidates and what you think of the possibility of of any of them taking <clears> over and why I you think, think they um, might be a good fit for the club. I think you and I are pretty clear of of the strengths and, and weaknesses and the fit that Zidane would be to the club. And we've both said that right. it's not the right kind of squad for Zidane. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's not just because we don't think he's capable. He might be able, he might be capable, but we haven't seen it. So we can only go yeah. on what we've seen. And what we've seen is him taking over an elite eleven position for position and taking them to the elite of the elite, right? It's yeah. taking them from a 10 out of 10 to a 20 out of 10. Yeah. And that's not where the squad is right now. It is in some positions, no. but in not in enough positions for it to warrant a Zidane managing from yeah. what we know of Zidane's managing style. Right. So that and he's not the, the only side, manager but, like that, right? There are there are plenty <clears> of managers who are really only as good as they are because of the squads that they've managed, but they're able to get more out of the, an elite group of players. Right. Like that's, that's what is very been much mentioned. like that. Pep is very yeah, much like that, yeah, exactly. right? Like there are some elite high level managers who will, who are not going to get criticism here, who we can kind of admit don't do as well if they're not with the club and Pep, we've never seen it, but by his own admission, he said, listen, bro, I need, I need a lot because to, he's earned to get it. the most out of these players. Exactly. If, if it wasn't for his success at Barcelona, he wouldn't have been in this position anyway. So it's right. like, everybody says Pep spends most than anybody. It's like, yeah, Pep deserves to spend most than it. And yeah like out of anybody in the world and it's everybody's trying to replicate the barca team that pep had (laughs) they're like oh my god that's what you can do with that crop dude spend away whatever it is you need yeah exactly 100 percent. yeah so that is zidane aside what we've seen from the other managers that they can take they're really good at coaching their teams are always very well coached yeah um and with someone like pochettino tactically very brendan rogers right very organized, but Pochettino and Rogers haven't done it at the at the highest level yet. So right. yes, Brendan Rogers has done it uh, at Leicester, and he's he's done really well at Celtic. But that's not something to go off uh, in terms of United. But no. he would be really good at at organizing the team. I'm 100 percent guaranteed. Like it's guaranteed that the uh, Brendan Rogers United would be very organized. But I don't know what the level is of that team. Well, and the other thing is he's no nonsense, right? And this is the other thing because you you bring this up a lot: how to handle egos and personalities. Brendan yeah. Rodgers, I'm not worried about being able to handle them because Brendan Rodgers is very no-nonsense. And he's maybe he hasn't earned it at the highest level, like you said, but I think Brendan Rodgers is a pretty well-respected manager globally. And because of that, I think he's able to say, listen, you know what, Cristiano, nobody has accomplished what you had. But do you not think that I earned this position because I'm better than your last boss? I think Let he's... show you that I, that I am, right? And then Ronaldo terms can of- respect that uh, about him, right? In terms of Ronaldo, I think he's smart enough as a manager to be like, you do what you do, and this is how we're going to set up the team to make sure we get the best out of you. Yeah, like he's enough. smart enough to do that. Like you can always, right. you can always have, uh, you know, a, a, a lazy guy in your team as long as the other ten do the work. Right. Um, you just can't have two. You can't have Ronaldo. And that's what Ronaldo. <laughs> that's what Ronaldo did at United previously. It's like he yeah. was the guy that you know he's not going to press, but no, that's why you thing. had. Yeah, that's why you had Energizer Bunnies and Rooney and Tevez to to run around and get the ball mm-hmm. for. Yep. Um, and then the middle uh, but, of the park. But then again, the middle of the park too, right? That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And in terms of Pochettino, yes, he's done it at Spurs. It's not really going well for him at, at PSG. Yeah, let's. But talk about we that know first that second. he's very he's very good at coaching. Yeah, he's let's talk very about. good at coaching. But you remember, we were like. Early days of Jersey Wall, we were advocating so strongly for him to be the next United manager because he was the guy. And 
Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, now let's be real. <laughs> this is almost a joke that it sounds like it's real. How much can we trust the judgment of somebody who wants to leave this current PSG team <laughs> to go? Oh, mate, right? Mate. Like, I just think just, that he knows they're not going to listen that. to him. That's just it, right? I feel like he's, it, which is so strange because he's an excellent coach, but he has so many. The epitome of e- there's no manager that can handle that many egos. There, the PSG have just run amuck exactly. here in what they've done. They've shot. It doesn't matter how good you are at coaching. If the person in no, front of you no doesn't want to be coached, no, exactly. No one wants to listen. They're all, eh, they're all like, yeah, what are you going to tell me? Come on, bro. I, I have more trophies than you, and and he can't say anything about it. So in that 100%. sense, it makes sense. But on the other hand, you're like Jesus Christ. If there's ever a team to break the trophy curse, at least see out the season, bro. Like, surely this team has to win at least the French league or something. I know they didn't last year, but at Which least they, they have to win something at the top of the table now. But right, it's not like and, they're you know, playing and, 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 and rightfully strength. so. But no, and we've been clamoring for for Pochettino to take over United for a long time because what he was really good at was what United kind of needed. Right, he focuses on youth development. He can get a lot out of a little. He doesn't need right. That was always my position. If he can get a mm-hmm. lot out of a little, imagine what he can do with resources. And one thing we know is United are not shy about spending money. They just haven't spent it right. So give it to a guy who knows how to spend it. Because I'm sure Pochettino would have been begging for f- the funding and saying, get me this guy. Well, we don't want to spend 80 mil. No problem. Get me this guy then at this, at this level because he will help the system. He is able to identify those targets. And it's almost a little overwhelming at PSG because they just bought him everybody and said, figure it out. He's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess. But at United, if he and he, the one thing we know about him is he really likes to have control of the projects. He calls himself, I'm a project manager. I want to oversee transfers. I want to oversee personnel. I want to oversee staff. I want to oversee everything because he wants to make sure that it's his project. I still think I would like to see him at United because of what we've seen from his track record with a club and getting them to rise to another level. And with PSG, it's almost a, a you know a, a standalone case study where you have to look at it and say that this one like weirdly doesn't count, and to explain it is hard yeah. and it takes a lot of time. But it's too good. It would almost make yeah, it's it's too good. But it almost it makes sense for him to to want to take on because quite frankly, let's be real, it's it's almost a lose lose at PSG, right? If you win, you're expected to. If right. you, you don't, it's you're, you're shambolic. But at United, you have a genuine chance to elevate a team, and I think he can do that. So I don't mind that shout, right? By yeah, I don't mind. Breath. And if if he can come now, hundred percent. Like I'm Great. not gonna. Yeah. Like obviously, I prefer Ten Hag, and we can go into Ten Hag. Yeah, let's later, talk about Ten Hag. Yeah, Ten Hag Next. obviously is once again another very good good manager organizing their their team. Is always dealing with the team being changed from and like the rug being pulled from under his feet because yeah. losing every top every talent, yeah. <laughs> every it's once terrible. in a while, Ajax always lose their spine. Yep. And he's just able to turn it because of, because of their phenomenal academy and, and their recruitment. But he's always able to get his coaching styles into that team. And, and we've seen that they're great in the Champions League at the moment. And tactically, he is really good at developing wingers. He's great yep. at you know being organized defensively to be able to afford attacking play. He's you know, got to manage history. young players, right? And bring them up and, and nurture them in the right environment in the right way, while at the same time demanding excellence from them, right? It, it's a kind of an interesting yeah. balance there where he can afford to... And he's also, he's also able to turn players who thought their careers were dead, like Dusan Tadic, and turn them right. into world beaters, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it, dude. It's Dusan Tadic might be the best player playing outside of Europe's top five leagues. He is a baller, right? He's right. proper. He's really, really good. 
and Ajax have a lot of pieces around him. Actually, I, I don't want you guys to get uh, Ten Hag because I want Ten Hag to be Pep's successor. And I know that if he's and managed one thing. side of Manchester, if Pep he leaves won't. now, if Pep leaves now, Ten Hag is the guy City gets, 100%. And that's the I, thing. I hope like, so. I think so, and I hope so. Like, I think that should be managerial target number one. I think he's already worked with Pep before, so I think that's 100%. Well, he's part of the Cruyff mentality of football, right? The Cruyff school of yeah. football, which I think would be the easiest natural progression post-Pep. And the other thing about Ten Hag is that people put him in the same class as, like, Nagelsmann. He's not, bro. He's in his mid-40s. No. He's older than Zidane. He's a manager and has been a, a good manager for a long time. He just hasn't taken... And you know With what? credentials. He's at an elite He's squad a- as well. He is at a club that is used to winning in a developmental league, fine, but demanding the highest level. And you know what? You put Ajax in the Bundesliga, they're competing. They're right in that mix amongst one of the best. So to take somebody like a Jurgen Klopp from, and bring him to Liverpool when he was achieving great things with Dortmund, you can't tell me that Ten Hag couldn't do something similar with a lot of Bundesliga teams. I think he could. And because I think that he could... Like, Ten Hag at Leipzig would be insane. Because remember, be this is a guy who always has to play uh, Champions League qualification and always mm. gets to the later stages in the Champions League. Yep. Beating Giants. They smashed like, Dortmund, Liverpool. by the way, in the last... Smashed Real Madrid, Madrid last season. Destroyed, yeah. He's an excellent manager. And I, I agree with you. I think he'd be an excellent thing. He'd be a giant step up. Um, and the only reason I don't but want him there you... is because of because I want him there. But like, if we bring it back down to earth for a second and say, okay, eh, is he going to do it? Is he not? Because I think it's honestly more not likely now. that Pochettino summer, leaves. Yes. Right, exactly. I think it's more likely that Pochettino quits midseason than it is that Ten Hag does. Because I think he's like, I I got a project here, bro. Like, I, like yeah. it would be an honor to take on this job. But let's be real. There's a lot of teams that no, want. And- Right. And the thing at Ajax is they're all very respectful because of the ownership and the board of the club is very respectful to them. Yeah. And it's it's such a family yeah. environment. So he wouldn't do that to the club in general. So my ideal right. situation would be an interim manager takes us top four and then you bring Ten Hag in the summer. Yeah, but if it's course. Pochettino now, if he's willing to do it now, then you, I guess like I'm, no, I'm, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. But at the same time, I know that once Pep leaves, Ten Hag is the guy that's going to go to City. So it's kind of so. like, what, like, I, I'm i grateful that, that you know, Pochettino's But he won't go to City if now. he's already coached at United, right? Ten Hag, I, I don't I don't strike him as the guy who would... And he's not going to go to United if he's going to City. And that's no, that's thing. what I mean. Like, yeah, he's going to pick one. And that's why I'd prefer to wait and get him in the summer rather than getting Pochettino now. But if that's, if they're unable to identify an interim manager that's good enough to take us to top four, Right. And like if the alternative is Carrick takes us till the summer, then then get Pochettino. Can I yeah, that's fair. Can can I give a shout to my managerial pick? And we we yes. we've kind of spoken about this for a long time. But Ralphie boy. <laughs> yeah, my boy Ralph. And not the Ralph that's been linked, but the Ralph that should be linked, which is Ralph Hasenhuddle, who I've been such a fan of for such a long time. I genuinely think he deserves the the credit. And and honestly, I can't be told otherwise. I'm not hearing it. Like I don't want to hear why he wouldn't succeed at United because he would. Now, the thing is, I know, and we've discussed this at length, you and I, about why it's not going to happen. And I know it's not going to happen, right? You can't take the manager from Southampton who are like in 15th and appoint him the manager of Manchester United, even if he's a better manager than all he is in terms of tactics, in terms of press, in terms of fear of his players. Like he, he commands a lot. But you watch a few Southampton games and you think, boy, if they had better personnel, they would be really, really good. And when Ralph mm-hmm. Hasenhuttle took um, RB Leipzig from 
the Bund, like the second tier of German football to second place in the Bundesliga in one season. He shot them up the entire Bundesliga table. That's absurd. And he went yeah. to England to get the managerial experience in England to then take the next step. And honestly, if Southampton finish in like a 10th or something and, and, P, and he's earned the respect, because the other thing is Southampton have no shortage of challenges either, right? You're always worrying about who you're going to sell. You're trying to bring up talent. There's constantly people getting hurt. You lose your best player. Things happen to that manager and you have to constantly adapt and overcome. But the way that he lines up his team and sets up his team and what they're able to achieve, especially against teams that are better than them, is a reason why I think if he had a team, and we've seen him with a Champions League level team before, they were really good. He would be able to take that team to the next level. His press is right. almost unmatched. Like his press is really that good. You, Dude, do yourself a favor, if you don't believe me, watch Southampton versus City from this season. There are so few teams that take the game to City. Right, and we've spoken about this before. City always mm-hmm. lose the same way. It's so rare that other teams come out and say, "We're not only we're going to be brave and we're going to take it to City, but we're going to push City back the whole game and take it to them and show them that you, our system can beat yours. And we are not better than you. We do not have the personnel to beat you, but our system can not only handle yours, but put you on the back foot. His system can do that. And he could do that with the United job, with the United players, the United team as presently constructed. And he's no nonsense. Pogba would not have a... The the midfield is such a weak place for United right now. There's a lot of managers that would need to be like, okay, dude, I got to get something in here, right? But he would have a set piece specialist. He would have Bruno in his team for sure. He would be pressing. He would have Van de Beek in his system and he would have, he wouldn't have Pogba. He would have to figure out the the balance of depth. Probably one of Until then, one of McFred, but he would have them in this kind of spot until January. And then he would go out and loan somebody, even freaking Romeo from Southampton, like just somebody who can play six just for a few months until he could actually identify it and go get a legitimate target. But his team is so press heavy and so... Um, hell-bent on implementing their will and not fearing the opposition. And I think that's something that a top-level team like United haven't had for a while, where it's like, oh, we're going to play United's game now. Because with Ollie, like Southampton, or or, excuse me, Watford are not going to try to take the game to United if if Hazen Huddle's manager of the squad. Because they Mm -hmm. know they're going to get absolutely destroyed. It It will instill fear in them. Ranieri is a Champions League winning manager and had Watford and told his boys, listen, they can be got at and we're going to run through them. And they did. He's a Champions League winning manager. <laughs> no, sorry. Did I say Champions? I said, sorry, I meant championship <laughs> level, like like a Premier League winning manager. Hey, if Ranieri <laughs> won the Champions League, bro, you know what? There's your show. You appoint Claudio Ranieri for Manchester United. Why not? Billy Ding, Billy Dong. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. That's it, man. That would be a that'd be a hell of a narrative. That would be a hell of a freaking Didi with you, man. <laughs> That's just it. I, I'm sure you would. Anyway, um, w- okay, we've gone over a lot. You agree with my? Do you agree with the points of my Hasan Huddle shout? I agree with all of them, hundred percent. We've we've spoken about why I don't think it's gonna happen, and yeah, just briefly, it, like United's board as incompetent as they are. Yeah. Just seeing Ollie beat like the guy they just sacked beat him nine nil. They're not gonna do it. Even regardless know, of all the football freaking, points, that's such an asterisk of all the points the that you said. But you yeah. know what? That's almost a testament to what I was saying about it's his like his system. He has total and utter, utter belief in it. Is that they lost nine nil twice, twice, 
And what did Southampton do? Did they fire him after either of them? After the nope. two biggest losses in Premier League history? No, because they know we may have got blown out this game worse than anybody ever has. But this is the best possible manager and system for this job. And he can take us to levels that other teams can't. Yeah. And, and, and that's just simple as it's a fact. And I'm not saying United would ever lose 9-0. And obviously he would be sacked if they did. But he will implement his game system effectively. And he believes in it to the end. And overall, it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn. I think it's gonna. I think it might happen, just not now. I think it might happen for on after the guy that they hire in the right now, like the long term mm, guy that mm-hmm. they hire. Right now, I would honestly, I wouldn't even mind if Hasenhuttle was so the next. I, next I, he's not going to be the replacement for Pep, but the next club that Hasenhuttle that Hasenhuttle manages will probably be a top level team in Germany again. I would imagine he'll go back there, and then after managing in the Champions League, for or he'll just take over Liverpool after Klopp. If Steven Jones yeah, maybe. ready. Like, if that just goes horribly yeah, along, we'll they're probably going to get Hasan. <laughs> like, it's a Southampton Could guy. This, that link is already there. That's a good point. Yeah. That's Where are they going to get? Nogglesman? I just think he would take that. <laughs> I just think he would take, like, he would go back to Champions League just to kind of bolster his resume yeah, and might. say, here's yeah, what yeah. I did in Germany. Here's how I took, a, you know, a, a championship team to Champions League team, right? Here's what I did in, in England, and here's how I built up my squad. Please go watch how we played. We were unreal. Then I went back to Germany, got more familiarized with the top level players and managing the, the highest level personalities and actually pressing and making a, an impact in the in this competition. Yeah, he just needs he just needs and then going pressure. back to exactly. Yeah. He just needs to to slowly work his way up. I just know that he's ready for that top level and I want to shoot him up anyway. But it's not gonna happen, and I understand that. Yeah. But that's he where he might end up at a Spurs or something. Just do a Pochettino. He Southampton yeah, I was Spurs, gonna say and he, then go to bro, a champ, like a proper club. He should. Why not? Dude, he could be when yeah. when Brendan Rodgers leaves Leicester, he can mm. be Rodgers' replacement at Leicester. Be nice. And then it'll just be, yeah. That I would like to see that, to be honest. That that's that's my ideal scenario. Anyway. Yeah, 100 percent There's a lot of stuff that we that we went through today. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't get to today, but that's why we do this every week, baby. We could talk about anything mm-hmm. we want whenever we want. However, 100%. I think this is a good place to wrap episode number 118 of the Jersey Wall podcast. Do you agree? Couldn't agree more. Boom. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us as always. Uh, I've been your host, Mr. Nathan Santos. That has been Brethren FC Mina Gali. Brethren, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at mina.gali98 and on Twitter. I'll follow you back if you can find me as always. Boom. You can find me on Instagram at the Nathan Santos and everywhere else at MasterChef Nay, including on YouTube, where you can find special bonus clips of the Jersey Wall, Bro Talk, and other fun stuff that we do. Be sure to check out the Jersey Wall podcast on Instagram at TJW Podcast and go to ElmontYouthSoccer.com for all your holiday shopping. Enter promo code TJW10 at checkout to save yourself 10%. Brethren, final thoughts? Yeah, you don't want to touch on your TikTok? Uh, Master Chef Nay as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm on TikTok now, guys. I'm making TJW Bites. Last week I said I was going to do it and I've done it. And I've had hella views on the two TikToks that I've made. <laughs> now, I do not use TikTok for scrolling purposes. I have opened my TikTok app twice and I have posted two videos and they have had hundreds, if not thousands of views. So TJW Bites, short and form of Jersey Wall content. Check that out. Master Chef Nay on TikTok as well. Thank you for reminding me. And thank you all for listening to the Jersey Wall Podcast. We sincerely appreciate you checking us out each and every week. We love you so much. 
share the show in the new year, want to grow even bigger. Exponential growth for us. That is how we do things on the Jersey Well Podcast. We love you all. We thank you all. And we'll see you all here next week on the Jersey Well Podcast, baby. Woohoo!